Hey, thanks for tuning in. The audio presented to you is copyrighted by Oak Ridge Baptist Church. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, God, I come before you again fully aware of my own inability, fully aware of my own insufficiency for the task that you have given to me. So Lord, I ask that you would that you would enable that which you have commanded, that you would empower me for service in this congregation, that you would enable me to preach your word to your people, and that the words that I speak here would not come from my own wisdom, but that you would speak through me so that the faith of the people here wouldn't rest on my ideas or my opinions, but on you. Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Several years ago at Christmas time, um, I sent my father uh, a meme. For those of you who don't know what a meme is, it's a picture that has words on it and it's kind of a joke. And I sent my dad this image, and the image was of the great love of my life in my early teenage years, so 10, 11, 12. So before I discovered girls, the great love of my life, the great passion of my soul was G.I. Joe. They don't have toys like G.I. Joe anymore because we've entered a, a, a more lame, mature age. We don't want to glorify violence, but G.I. Joe was great. And the, the all-consuming desire of my life, the thing that I wanted above all else was the USS Flag. Does anybody remember what that was? Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? It was, a, it was a G.I. Joe aircraft carrier that was five yards long. It was huge. It was massive. And every year at Christmas time, I would be like, Dad, I really, 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 really want. This is before Nintendo. This is before video games. And I wanted it. <laughs> Not with the USS flag. You would have just sat there where my bed would go. <laughs> and I wanted it so bad. And every year I would try to figure out what words I could say, what arguments I could muster to get this ridiculously huge plastic toy. And every Christmas, I would go out into the living room hoping against hope that perhaps maybe I had been good enough this year that I would have the USS flag sitting underneath my Christmas tree. And every year, I would be disappointed. 
And so a couple of Christmas ago, I sent my dad this meme and it said, this, 35 years ago today, I learned what disappointment was. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Dad. <laughs> I spent huge amounts of my time and my effort trying to figure out what the right words would be to get my parents to do this thing that they absolutely never in a million years would have any intention of ever doing. And I think that as we begin our new sermon series, I think it's important for us to understand that for many of us, that's the way we conceptualize prayer. There is something that we want. And we think that if we know the right words, or if we say them in the right way, or if we want it bad enough, like if we really, really, really want this thing in our heart, right? To use Disney language. My heart really, 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 really wants it. And if I pray really hard enough, and if I have enough faith, then God will give me the USS flag. <laughs> this ridiculous thing that nobody needs. And so we're going to take some time over the next several weeks, and we're going to look at this concept of prayer. And we're going to try to understand what it is Jesus wants us to know about prayer. How, how, what, is, what does his prayer look like? Because here's the reality. The, the takeaway from my USS flag incident and what the things we're talking about here are not, don't want anything because you're just going to be disappointed. If at first you don't succeed, never try again. That's not the lesson here. The lesson, well, hopefully we see what the lesson is by the end of this. Many of us come to the issue of prayer hoping that there is some secret code, some special foolproof technique that will get us what we want. There is no lack of books that promise to give you the secret sauce, the special thing that you need in order to be able to get what you want from God. After all, didn't Jesus say that if you pray, pray with enough faith, then you can have whatever you want? I mean, that's what he said, right? So obviously, if we're not getting the things that we want, we must not be praying in the right way. Jesus' disciples were no different from us. That next step after believing in God and knowing that he's real is wanting to know how you can get the things that you want to get from him. And so Jesus' disciples came to him. We read this morning in verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we, we need to stop there for just a second. Jesus' disciples had been with him, right? They had been with him for several years at this point, and they had watched the way he operated, and Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed like all the time. Jesus prayed over sick people, and he prayed over hurt people, and he prayed over lost people, and he prayed by himself 
Often Jesus would get up early in the morning, he'd wander off and pray, and he'd pray all day. This is important for us to understand because Jesus is, in many ways, modeling the behavior that he wants from his disciples. Remember, Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. Okay? He is a member of the Trinity. He, he has the ability to do amazing things. Do you know how we know that? Because the Bible tells us that he upholds creation, right? That all things, that he created all things and all things are bound together by him. He was with the Father before the beginning of time. And yet, is in his incarnation, the way that he interacts with God and the way that he achieves the thing that God has for him to do is through prayer. And that's intentional. It's intentional because Christ is modeling to us, his disciples, what it is we're supposed to do. So Jesus is praying all the time and everywhere. And the disciples are watching this. So the disciples know that prayer is critical, that prayer is necessary, but they also know that the prayers that they have been offering, the ways that they have been taught to pray are somehow insufficient, right? And I think we've all probably come to that place at some time in our life, like, I, I don't know about you, but there have been people in my life where, where I've seen them pray and, and, I, and I've been like, yeah, that person knows how to do this. Somebody, this, this this, this person is a prayer warrior, right? We, we all have those people in our life where, that, you know, when, when you need something, man, you make sure that that person is praying for you because they, they, they know how to do it the right way. And, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You've got to be careful with it, right? Because one of the things, one of the good things about being a Christian is Christ has given us each the, the opportunity to go into the presence of God on our own, but we're also told that it's okay to pray for each other. And so if you have a person in your life who is just amazing at prayer, who's just this amazing prayer warrior, yes, have them pray for you. But also do what the disciples did here. Go to them and learn how to pray. Try to understand from them what it is it that makes you good at this. What, what, why is there something different about what you do than from what I do? And so the disciples, a group of people who had been raised in this very formalized way of praying where they were surrounded by people who prayed loud, complicated, hypocritical prayers publicly, wrote prayers over and over and over again. They, they knew that something was off. So they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. How, how are we supposed to do this? Teach us how to pray the way John taught us how to pray. <clears throat> and I, I, think, I think the first big takeaway that we, can, that we can get from this is that prayer is a learned behavior. Prayer, prayer is a learned behavior. It's not something that that comes naturally to us. Now, at the beginning, we were created in the image of God to have communion with him, but, but through the fall, that connection has been broken. And so submitting ourselves to God, speaking to God is not always or everywhere a natural thing. And so it's okay for us to view prayer as something that we can study and learn. As Baptists, Often we don't like to hear this. 
we think of ourselves as being very independent, right? We, we, if we're, let, let me, let's be honest just for a second. We look down on other more liturgical church traditions, right? And what's the number one thing that, that, that people will say? Well, I don't, they read their prayers. That's, that's so dumb. I come up with authentic and original prayers myself. Because you see, I have a personal relationship with God. And so my conversation with him is personal and unique. Can, can anybody explain to me what a hedge of protection is? Because we all say it. What, what about traveling mercies? What is a traveling mercy? Does anybody say that in normal life? Do you ever like when you're wishing somebody like a, you're like your buddy just came here like, hey, traveling mercies, bro. Hedge of protection, bro. We don't talk like that. These are words that we've heard other people say. We imitate the people in our life, even to include, I mean, growing up, I made fun of y'all. And by y'all, I mean us. I mean me, because I grew up Episcopalian. We'd make fun of Baptists. Because it'd be like every time a Baptist prays, it looks like they've got a headache. Because they take their glasses off and they pinch the bridge of their nose. <laughs> I do it all the time, y'all. I think it's part of being a Baptist. It's the way I was trained to pray by the Baptist. You take your <laughs> glasses off, pinch the bridge of your nose, like God's not going to see me unless <sighs> with my glasses on. Whether you admit it or not, we have all been taught how to pray in a particular way. It's learned behavior. It's the way that we interact with God. And so it's okay for us to work at it, right? To try to learn new skills and new methods to be able to pray. It's one of those things that we can always get better at. So what did Jesus tell them? Well, he began by giving them a model of prayer. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, we have to be careful with this. Because often when we get a passage like this from Jesus, it is super tempting to treat this as a formula, right? As a, as a written prayer that we're just going to repeat. Oh, Jesus said, say it, so that's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm supposed to pray. All my prayer is going to be like that. Except... If we look at other places in scripture, what we realize is that Jesus prayed in other ways than this. And he told his disciples to pray in other ways than this. In fact, if you look at the Lord's Prayer in Luke and you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, they're different. Now, that's for a number of different reasons. One of them is these are two different periods of teaching. Jesus here is preaching in Galilee. Later on, when he does the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, it will be in Judea. He's going to be teaching to different peoples at different times. One of the things that we find with Jesus as we go through the Gospels is Jesus is a pastor, which means that pastors repeat themselves. 
I know I don't. But other pastors have stock phrases that they use. When they work really hard and they come up with like a really good way of, of saying something, they'll say it over and over again. Like, has anybody ever heard me say, you're not a good person, you're not a, a, a good person that occasionally does bad things, but a bad person that occasionally does good things? I say it a lot. Because I heard another guy say it, I was like, yes, that's the way that that needs to be communicated. Well, Jesus did that. He taught the same thing to different people in different places. And sometimes it's a little bit different. So what do we take away from this? Well, this isn't a formula. It's not the way that we're supposed to pray and that these are the words that we're supposed to use. What he's trying to get across to them is a, is a, a, a condition of a person's heart. He, what he's telling them is these are the types of things that you need to be praying for. This is what a prayerful heart looks like, right? So what, is he, what, what does a prayerful heart look like? Number one, it begins by addressing God as Father. Now, now to us, as we look at this, this seems fairly formal because we've had 2,000 years of Christian tradition. But at this time, you didn't call God Dad. That, that wasn't a thing you did. You could call him Yahweh, you could call him uh, Adonai, you could call him Lord Sabaoth, Lord of the hosts, you could call him all kinds of different things, but you didn't call him dad. And so Jesus is telling the disciples, you can address God as father, as Abba. He is your father. He is intimate and close. He is the giver of life. Disciples are called to childlike trust in their father. Now understand, this is childlike trust. It's not childish, shallow, surface level interaction with God. We're not being called to, to be flippant with God or be overly familiar with God, but we are allowed to establish our intimacy with the divine. Well, after that, Jesus tells the disciples to declare the holiness of God, their father, saying, hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. To ask God to bring his kingdom into being. Being. He encourages them to ask for forgiveness and he reminds them, hey, if you're asking for forgiveness, remember, you're going to be forgiven in the way that you forgive others. He tells them to come before the Father in contrition, to apologize for the things that they've done, to ask for daily bread and to be delivered from temptation. He wants his disciples to understand that their motivations are more important than the form or the words that they use. This is a major change he's trying to get across to him. He's like, it's your heart that matters. This is who Jesus is, right? Over and over and over again, he talks to them about their heart. See, it's not the words that you use that are going to affect God. It's the heart that you come from. And I just want to take a moment, and I want to pause there for a second and, and, and talk about this a little bit. Like, so much of who we are comes out in our prayers. This is another reason why 
Prayer is a learned behavior that we can work on because if you allow somebody to default, generally what I've noticed, and I hear a lot of people pray, you end up praying the same prayers the same way over and over again because those are the things that you care about. You want to see what a person really cares about, look at what they're praying for. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But one author put it this way. He said he went to a church prayer meeting and he heard the prayers that the church was offering up. And the prayers that the church was offering up were for bodily ailments, for the church finances, for the upcoming festival, and for everybody to have a safe drive home. Hear me. These are not bad prayers. It is not bad to pray for these things. But they are the small prayers of a small village. And we are connected to something much larger. Right? And so while we should be praying for these things and we should be praying for our daily bread, there's also a call to pray for God's kingdom. And there is also a call to pray for the greatness and the glory of God. In fact, if, if you look at the things that, that Jesus is talking about in his prayer, most of the things in his prayer have nothing to do with intercession. All of them have to do with declaring the glory of God or fixing our relationship with God. And then we come to a place of supplication where we're asking for things. And yet so often when we pray, our prayers are simply a list of the things that we want from God. Okay? So our, the condition of our heart is, is more important than the words that we use or the patterns that we have. And, and to kind of demonstrate this, Jesus goes on, right? He, he, one of the things that we see in the Gospel of Luke is that the Lord's Prayer is very small and he has a bunch of other stuff that's connected with it. Later on in the year, we're going to talk through the Lord's Prayer in a lot more depth. And we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew because there's a lot more there. But right now what I want to talk about is some of these other things that, that Jesus has put around the Lord's Prayer. So he's, he's begun by telling them that, the, that the condition of prayer needs to be guided by our heart. Like he cares about what our heart is like. But then he goes on, right? In verse 5, and he, said, he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight? Right? So, so Jesus has gone from telling them what their heart should be like, and now he begins to tell them a parable that's going to that's gonna explain to them what their, what their prayerful heart should look like. It's a, it's a story that has a point, and here's what the story is. Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, let me, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So he's told the disciples what their heart should look like. And then he says, let, let me show you what this looks like in real life. And he tells them a story about a man who wakes up in the middle of the night. Now, what you need to understand about the world that Jesus is talking about, this is a world that does not have Target. Doesn't have H-E-B, I know, right? No H-E-B. <gasps> There's no gas station. There's no Bucky's or QT. Like, there's nothing that's open at this time. You want to get, you know how you get your bread? Everybody takes their stuff. 
They make their dough. First thing in the morning, they go down to the communal oven. They don't have a double oven. No double oven. There are no chicken nuggies in the oven, okay? There's nothing you can grab out. Nothing from Costco, right? So if you have friends that show up in the middle of the night and they're like, man, I'm so hungry, you go pull out a box of corn dogs and throw them in the oven and you can have something. Or maybe you throw them in the air fryer. They, they don't have that. And the food needed to have been made the day before. If you don't have food, there's no midnight snacks. You got to wait till tomorrow. That's the first data point, right? You, there, there is no way for this man to go get food for his house guests. Point number two, this is a world where hospitality is critical, where not having food in the house brings shame on the entire house. This is a house... This is a methodology, a, a mentality where it's not just enough to have a little bit. We, we, my, my cousin came in. My cousin was Jewish for a long time, and, and we were talking about my aunt and, and the way it would be when we would come to the house. When we would go and visit them, we would get there at like 10 o'clock at night. We'd drive in from Houston. We'd get there at 10 o'clock at night, and this woman had been cooking all day, and not just like a little bit of food. She had cooked way more food than we would possibly need. She cooked a ridiculous amount of food because it would have shamed the house for her to run out. In fact, we, we had a little, a little byplay. It's, uh, it's New Year's, and Shen and I had bought a, bought a three-pound corned beef we were going to make. And they looked at it, they were like, three pounds? Where's the other one? <laughs> three pounds is enough for, like, Andy. <laughs> And we had to go out and get another corn, the last corned beef in San Antonio on New Year's Eve. That's who this man is. This is the world that these guys live in. And so this guy is in the middle of a hospitality crisis and he realizes the only person that has any bread is probably my next door neighbor. And so he goes over to his next door neighbor. Now, his next door neighbor is asleep. All of his children are asleep. They sleep in one room. You know how hard it is to get your kids down now when they have another bedroom? Guess what? Everybody's sleeping together in one place. You just got everybody down. It's probably midnight. And bam, 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 here comes the knock at the door. And you get up and you're like, well, you shouldn't be quiet, man. Exactly. That's what he does not want. He's like, would you be quiet? I just got everybody down. He's like, man, I need some bread. I don't have any bread. Go away. You're going to wake everybody up. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to come out there, open the door, and get you some bread. And so the, what's the image? He just keeps knocking on the door until finally the guy gets up and goes, here's your bread. Shut up. Leave. Right? What's Jesus' point? Well, he tells him. He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, because he is his friend, friendship won't provide this. Because of his impudence, and the word there is impudence or boldness or shamelessness. And I think shamelessness is the better word. This man is shamelessly imposing on his neighbor. This isn't a little ask. This is a huge ask. And he's saying that is what your heart should be like when you come prayerfully before God. You should be shameless and persistent and bold about asking God for the things that you need, right? So on the one hand, you need to have the right heart in the things that you're asking for and the 
On the second hand, you need to be shameless and bold and persistent in the things that you're being called to ask for. See, don't ask just once. We have this, this, uh, this question that keeps coming up over and over again. Uh, several people have asked me this. They've said, is it okay to ask for the same thing more than once? Or does it demonstrate a lack of faith? And, and I want you to hear this. There, there's some teaching out there. There's somebody out there that's saying that if, if you ask for something more than once, it means that you don't have faith. That completely flies in the face of what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches, ask forever. <laughs> Keep asking. Over and over in the, in the Gospels, he says, persistence, be annoying in talking to God. Ask all the time, every day. Just keep asking until you get an answer. See, our God is a God who answers prayer. And so not only are we supposed to ask persistently, we're also supposed to ask expectantly. See, persistent prayer isn't a sign of a lack of faith. It's a demonstration of a person's dependence on God. And so we should be shameless and we should be bold. And here's why. This is what Jesus says. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? He's like, who, who do you think God is? God is a good God. You've already called him father. And so he uses this analogy. He says, look. He says, you, some of you guys have kids. If your kid comes to you and says, dad, I'd really like a roll. How many of you give him a rock? That's cruel. Oh, I need a fish, Dad. Oh, here's a scorpion. Nobody does that. Nobody would do that to their children. Why do you think that you're better than God? Well, why do you think God would treat you differently? See, so often we don't pray because we don't believe that God will do the things that we're asking for. We, we don't believe that he's powerful enough or that he knows us well enough or that he's willing to do the things. And so Jesus comes to them and he, and he lays down this marker. He says, those who ask, receive. Those who seek, find. We should pray from a pure heart and we should pray persistently and we should pray expectantly. How should we pray? That's how you should pray. You should pray for the priorities that God has. And you should pray persistently. Not because God wants to make you beg. But because God wants to change the condition of your heart. He wants you to live in a place of total dependence on God. He wants every waking moment of your life to be lived out in total and complete dependence on him. That's how we pray. See, what Jesus is trying to get across to his disciples here is that prayer is not about manipulating God into giving you what you want. Prayer is about your heart changing. When we pray, we don't change the will of God. 
When we pray, God changes the priorities of our heart. When we pray to God incessantly, he answers us. Now, understand, he doesn't always tell us yes. Often he doesn't tell us yes. But he always, always answers the prayer. The more we pray and the more that we come to him, the more our minds and our hearts are transformed by him. This is why later on in the, in the, uh, in the epistles of Paul, Paul tells the, 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 the people that he's writing to, do not be anxious about anything. Right? But with, in all things, with prayers and petitions, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then the answer is his peace. So we lift up our prayers to him. We pray incessantly. We pray expectantly. And the response is peace. As God's peace overwhelms us. The disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that's how Jesus taught them how to pray. Understand this. God sent his son and his son prayed to his father all the time. And most of the time, God answered Jesus' prayers. But in case you ever feel like you've gotten a raw deal, like you prayed as hard as you could and it didn't happen, you throw your hands up. I want you to think about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prayed with every bit of who he was, with every ounce of his infinite faith. He prayed so hard that he sweat drops of blood that God would make the, pa the cup of wrath pass from him. He said, I don't want to do this, God. And God didn't take the cup away. He answered his prayer, but it wasn't necessarily in the way that he wanted. And yet, Jesus submitted to the will of God. And same way with all of us, guys. Jesus wants you to pray with good priorities. He wants you to pray persistently. And he wants you to pray expectantly. And if you will do those things, then when the answer comes, you will have the peace to accept it. No matter what it is. Brothers and sisters, we serve a good God. A good, a good God who we are told to call Father. And I know that sometimes the answers that he gives us are not what we want to hear. We pray and pray and pray for that loved one to come to Jesus and they never do. We pray and pray and pray that our children will make good choices and then we have to go pick them up at jail. We pray for that test to come back the way that we want it. Sometimes it doesn't. But throughout that entire process... There are so many other things that God is doing 
in his goodness that we don't even see. There is so much upholding of creation and so many provisions that we're not aware of. And so when we pray, what God is doing is showing us all of the places where he is upholding us and carrying us. And that's where the peace of God comes from. As we prepare to to end this morning, I want to encourage you. We're coming into a new year. And there are so many needs that we have. There are so many challenges that we all face. But the place that we begin is by taking those challenges and laying them on God. And so I want to encourage you this year to prioritize taking time to be with God, not on a weekly basis, not on a monthly basis, but every single day. I want to encourage you to take time to spend deliberately disciplined and focused prayer. And if you do that, I can't promise you that you will get the object of your dreams. Even though if my father had given that to me, I could have sent my kids to college with it. I'm not going to promise you that you'll get the object of your dreams. But I will promise you that God will send his peace. And that peace will pass all understanding.